0: Benji Wagner's got a cool loose in the studio with the new super boots. Juice is want to take a hit from the lunar to the solar. Losers looking tight in the flight with the polar. Coming for adventure, coming just your dentures. Hop along and listen, the clutch just sent you. Watch ya for the signs, for the time, scratch the itch. Scary like the hairy bean, ballin' like rich. Switch, clutch, listen, post them. Brothers, Benji, skills. come. <clears throat> Good. Make sure we get that in like the <laughs> podcast for sure, because that, that'll, that'll be a great intro. Uh, I'm Tim May. My name's Rich. And we are doing the design clutch. We have Benji Wagner here with us. Say hello, Benji. Hello, Benji. And Benji is a co-founder of Polar, uh, the outdoor equipment and apparel brand. Uh, Benji has a long career as a photographer uh, and has done film. We're excited to have him on the clutch and we'll be talking about sort of your, your understanding of, of having built a business now and and, uh, and kind of what's involved there.
1: Uh, yeah, I think there's a really big distinction between, you know, just the general term business and then, you know, starting a brand. Polar is really a brand um, who, you know, the the kind of strength of it was the the concept and the culture more so than a particular uh, business idea, or uh, I guess a lot of a lot of businesses in the past have kind of focused on just we have an idea, we'll bring it to market, we'll uh, distribute that idea and sell it. And you know, Nike is a great example of one of the original kind of American brands that became more about the brand than any given product. The product's great. Um, but they were one of the first to really, uh, you know, sell a, a something aspirational in the culture, and then the product was also there. And I think, you know, Polar is very much a brand. So I'm not a I'm not a really experienced businessman uh, in the past. And I think a lot of people from Portland are. Um, there's a lot of of cool entrepreneurial stuff, and a lot of it tends to be more focused on on brand or design ideas and. Right, experiences. Things that are creative, but they're not as, you know, focused on traditional maybe uh, business skill sets, I guess. Right. I guess that's the big distinction to me is I'm not putting myself out there as a really great businessman in a traditional sense. It's more hopefully I came to the uh, industry we're in with some new concepts and ideas that then led to a lot of business opportunity.
0: That's cool. Um, what experiences did you have before you started Polar that that may have set you up for some success there? Like, like were there things that you did in the past where it's like, hey, I learned this, now I can apply this to what I'm going to try when I, when I start this business?
1: Yeah, I think my, you know, my my family has a lot of entrepreneurs in it, which is something that I just kind of took for granted. And like everybody growing up, I think you're so immersed in your kind of family or your own uh, little world that you have blinders on you don't realize some of those things and how much they influence you. But my grandfather was an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, and my dad is a serial entrepreneur. And uh, I never was that interested in the particular fields that they were working in or the particular things that they uh, kind of focused on, I guess. And then, but what, you know, what came through is over time, like this this constant chatter about business and chatter about uh, opportunity, or just growing up in my family, the amount of conversation about uh, where there where there were opportunities in the market and how to uh, think about where some new invention could fit in, or these this kind of stuff, which I, I took for granted, but I think obviously that doesn't exist in everyone's family. So (laughs) I was highly influenced by that overall. It's just, my dad's constantly, uh, has always talked about, well, they should do this, or it's always the mysterious they, you know, be walking down the store aisles and like, why don't they have this thing? I need, why don't they have this set here? Why is this priced like this? He's, and I, you know, he got that from, from his dad, who was very, very intense, uh, person, but also, very intense kind of opportunist and entrepreneur i guess any uh one of the unique things maybe about my family is they my dad and grandfather specifically but others in the family too they don't they weren't really limited to what to one field like they weren't focused on the medical field, or my grandfather would tend to just anything he thought was a great idea. He would, you know, start jabbering about turning it into a business and turning it into something big. And that uh attitude just bled through a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, didn't he get so? So tell me if I'm wrong. Your your grandfather was able to get a patent, like on a, a on a sheetrocking
1: connector, or no? Was that is that totally wrong? No, my well, I'm gonna they'll probably. <laughs> they hear this they'll be mad i don't say it right but it it, uh my grandfather was an engineer and that was his background and he actually invented a a new kind of screw that uh, was sort of the first specific screw for uh she rock construction invented the drywall screw yeah and it was it was really like a it's hard to say that like the it's more complex than just mm. straight up that but in 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 terms of I guess it comes down to like the engineering the way the threads sit on the shaft of a th- of a screw and the way the specific design was very unique and he didn't get a patent on it. I think I would probably be on a yacht somewhere if he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was quite he didn't have any money and he did it in his garage and then his kids grew up kind of boxing screws in the garage and him taking them around in a truck and selling them to construction <laughs> wow. sites. And it was genuinely a superior product to what most people were using. So it actually took off and it was knocked off, you know, uh, in, in probably the billions, <laughs> you know, there's right. like a Mitch Hedberg joke. If you're, he's like, if I, uh, if I'm hungry and I want to eat a hundred thousand of something, I'll eat rice because it's just like sheer quantity. Like if you look at the, uh, you know, how many times that what he designed was knocked off, it's probably just absurd, but uh-huh. it, he didn't have a patent and it was just too insane to control or to legally fight. And he still built a, a, large and successful business in the construction industry. Um, with that and other innovations, he was very dedicated to like innovating in, in construction, but he started multiple other businesses that were unrelated as well awesome that's really
2: cool (laughs) was polar the first company that you started
1: yeah that's the first one I've ever I've been involved in prior to polar I was really I had worked for my uh, grandfather's and father's businesses in various levels but not at any kind of high level uh, and not at any kind of uh, management level it was just kind of small ways and then I had worked a lot of other jobs and then I became a freelance photographer and filmmaker and Did work for, I started doing that when I was a teenager and then turned it into more of a career and did it for quite a while for other brands, including, uh, you know, brands like Nike. I did, I never worked for them, but I did freelance work for a lot of different kind of lifestyle and uh, kind of athletic stuff. So, what sparked the idea for Polar? Uh, Well, I grew up in, I grew up really heavily. Uh, involved in skateboarding. Skateboarding was like a really uh, important outlet for me when I was young. I started working in a skateboard shop and I think anyone that is... Which shop? (laughs) uh, This is in Maryland, right? Yeah, I grew up in in Maryland. I went to high school in Maryland and there's a a shop there called Pit Crew um, which is still there and uh, I'm still good friends with the guys that, that started it and it's really... Uh, really core skateboard shop. It's one of the rare, very few ones left, honestly, especially on the East Coast. There's probably half a dozen or something. Oh. So it's sort of the uh, one of the main core shops for like the mid-Atlantic region. But I started working there when I was 15, I think. As soon as I could like drive there, I was there by 16 for sure. <laughs> huh. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, skateboarding is a really unique culture that if you're on, it's one of the most uh i think impenetrable cultures like in our overall culture if you don't actually have a real connection to it or aren't involved intimately then there's like no way in and it's so uh it's so incredibly creative and it's to me skateboarding is not really a sport and it's not really a a pure art it's sort of the closest thing to it even though it sounds silly is sort of like interpretive dance or something because of the way that you know skateboarding is it's all about expressing yourself and and doing things in a way that's very stylish and unique and putting together these video parts that include music and editing and and um you know and then there's all the graphics on all the boards and just from an outsider looking in it's it, it breeds like really, uh, really interesting, creative kind of mindset, I think. And a lot of people that come out of that world for better or worse are kind of changed forever by it. It's very um, influential in our culture overall. There's a great quote. We should I should look it up by Ian McKay. One of my favorite quotes is, skateboarding is not a, it's not a sport, it's a, a it's a way of seeing the world, but it's more poetic than that. But it's like the best quote right. about skateboarding. It changes the way that you. It's like a lens through which you view everything else. Somehow, I don't know where I that tangent. Yeah,
0: started. no, but 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 as you were as you were thinking about polar,
1: oh sorry, sorry, yeah, skateboard so. experiencing kind of <laughs> yeah, that's a long winded. Sorry, <clears throat> no, I, it's good. I tend to go on tangents, but the. Coming from that kind of culture, and the, as I grew up, I had actually done I also grew up doing a ton of outdoor stuff uh, with my father, who was very involved in the outdoors, and we would always be camping and hiking and cycling and doing trips to the national parks and that was a huge part of my childhood so uh, you know those two things definitely really kind of formed uh, a basis later on to as as I did photography i I saw going to like the trade shows for action sports and, and going to the trade shows for the outdoor world is that I really felt those things have always been completely separate. But my proposition is that the internet has really changed young people's minds, you know, dramatically in the way that they uh, even develop uh, in ways that we don't really even understand. And I think that kids out there, they don't, when we were growing up, I'm in my thirties and I think, you know, if you were a surfer or a skateboarder, even though those things seem really related, they weren't even really related. It was like one or the other, or you were very, it was very delineated. Or if you were a, you know, a rock climber, that was like you were a rock climber. And now I think kids just cherry pick everything that's cool and they'd like it all and If they, you know, skateboard sometimes, they probably also go rock climbing and camping sometimes and also ride a bike, you know, around town, and they also go surfing every once in a while. And it's all just part of a, I look at it like music. I mean, this has already happened in music a long time ago, is really any of us, uh, I think any of my friends or any teenager out there, I think if you just said, hey, make a mixtape of your favorite stuff right now, you would have... You know, you'd have some rock, you'd have some hip hop, you'd have some folk, you'd have like all these different things that speak to you and they all make sense to you, but they're not, you know, you're not literally like, I only like rap. That's kind of how it was in like the 80s, though, you know, I think as people that were identified with that, it was like, this is it. That was me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember those days. But, you know, and yeah. I think that that is still people love you can i think kids still love rap just as much but they also are, are into electronic and all they'll you know it's just it's way more acceptable where in the industry i'm in uh that's sort of the purpose that polar is hopefully serving is really disrupting those kind of channels and the and making it into like an omni channel and making right. it so that we speak to all those things hopefully in a way that i think does make sense to young people um i think a lot of the time when i talk about it or um talk with people kind of our age, then they kind of have to wrap their head around it. Where if this conversation happens with a 21 year old, they're just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> they don't I mean honestly it really it's pretty right. like, you know, parent they're just like, yeah, of course. Because yeah. it's it just makes sense to them on a really fundamental level where Yeah. And you know, things like traditionally in the outdoor culture, look at surfing for example, you know, surfing is probably to me one of the most beautiful you know natural outdoor interactions like a human could have with nature just on any level just watching someone ride a wave on this you know plank is so beautiful and amazing and it's obviously outdoor quote <laughs> you're outdoors and then right but you know if you go to the trade show the outdoor trade show you'd never see surfing surfing has its own trade show and its mm-hmm. own you know own stores no one would ever really talk about it until recently as as something that um you know what was an i quote outdoor activity, and that's what I'm trying to do. And a lot of the time, when I, uh, you know, speak or or am interviewed, just just verbally kind of saying that is breaking down this kind of it's a language barrier to some degree. You know, right, right, right. I
2: think we've talked about surfing in every episode,
0: so. every interview. <laughs> oh, really?
1: Yeah, do, have you ever surfed or? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not yeah. uh, not a great. I didn't grow up by the water, so right. I'm uh, still pretty much a beginner. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a hack, but Rich
0: Rich surfs in in Oregon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to be good, <laughs> but I love.
2: I mean, like, it's it's wonderful. It's, but, yeah, yeah, even uh, even when I'm not like the talk about like being connected to nature, mm-hmm. like even when I'm not like on the yeah. board. Like, one of my favorite parts is just hanging out in the water waiting for waves. Yeah, it's
1: a meditation, I think. Right. I mean, I think that that's surfing in general. Even if you are good, you're only actually riding a wave for what 1% of the time at best. (laughs) Right, right. You're swimming, you're you're waiting. you're, yeah. If you don't love that part, you're not going to like surfing. It's Mm -hmm. a special feeling to be out in the middle of the ocean and watching the water. And that's kind of what, you know, Polar is really hopefully connecting with that feeling that you're describing, whatever you want to call it is really what has always fascinated me. Hmm. And I don't, I think the outdoor industry in particular had become so focused on technical innovation and design and material innovation. And if you, you know, came at it with, I did came at it, having done a lot of outdoor things, but not having been in the industry, then I looked at it and was just like, okay, it's great that we have this incredible jacket, but it's really boring as well. Hmm. Like, I just don't care how great this jacket is I want it to work right but I want to see the story about what you do in the jacket right and I just felt like that was like had had sort of gone out the window like there just there's a few examples of, of uh, you know things that were great that people were doing obviously but as an industry as a whole it had just become so focused on you know those kind of stories in the marketing and, and the culture and everything and if you don't really relate to that it just felt really – I just felt like people were always talking about someone climbing Mount Everest, you know, whereas mm-hmm. most of us are going to the beach with their kids on the weekend or trying to surf or doing something fun that they relate to that is outdoors but aren't, you know, they're not actually alpinists. or right. And there's nothing wrong with alpinists. I think it's cool. <laughs> and I sometimes I feel like I get pigeonholed polar does as sort of anti uh, – anti-tech or this sort of uh luddite thing and i don't i don't feel that way at all i feel like there's room for everything it's just that i felt that part of the world had plenty of attention
0: right <laughs> and whereas right.
1: the sort of weekend warrior which most of us are mm-hmm. uh,
0: didn't you know yeah it's it's interesting because you mentioned story and i think that um your brand has a real uh, visual narrative, right? That, that it seems as though from your own photography, and I, I, I knew you before there was polar, that, that knowing you as a photographer, you were always good at showing kind of more to the picture than the picture itself. So in your skateboard photography that you've done in the past, right? It wasn't just look at that trick, mm-hmm. right? It was a little bit more of Look at this look look at look at where this person is in the environment that they're around mm-hmm. and and capturing it not just as a single shot that you'd necessarily see like in the skateboard magazine, but also like y- you also kind of capture a bit more about the person in the story, what they're doing and where they're going. yeah, I think to me, is,
1: I guess i I always I think of things I guess one way I think about it is quantitative versus qualitative you know and so many things that were in that world were very quantitative it was like this is a record of this thing that happened right you know, or that kind of idea or even this technical innovation has occurred and it's very like it, it's the one part of the mind that's very uh you know it's very like german to me like that kind of idea of, <laughs> you know just yeah. it's just like that's what leads to like amazing engineering and amazing so many things but in uh for me, I'm I think I'm more on the qualitative side, where it's more about the that um, kind of emotion or stirring something that is more about the experience, or it's more metaphysical and something that is sort of uh, in, I guess. Too difficult to put your finger on, but feel it makes you feel something. Right, right.
0: When you do, so I, I know that this was a quality I found in in your photographs. But you have a network of photographers, yeah. right who who are doing you know shots for Instagram and adventures, etc. Um, is there have you have you talked with them about how how you want things shot, or is it a little bit more? These are people
1: that you know and trust, or um, it's a mix of everything. I think you know I, I shot a lot of the early stuff. For Polar and then friends of mine that I had known in that community had, you know just to support me and being generous had done a lot of stuff but then honestly it quickly uh you know partly tied to the rise of Instagram I mean when uh I started on Instagram three years ago I think and I was uh none of us know which one of those apps or what it, one is you know is going to go crazy no one could have foreseen Instagram being as big a deal as it is right um but I put a lot of uh Obviously, I had a background in in, uh, in visual imagery. And, um, you know, frankly, I, I had actually become, I grew up working in a darkroom, and I grew up printing a lot. And I, I actually printed other people's photos as well. And at that time, for a long time, I was a better printer in black and white photography than I was a photographer, maybe forever, you know. I just had built a really strong, That that's a more kind of a specific skill set, you know, mm-hmm. that was just it's gone now basically for everybody. It's obsolete. It's one of those, but at the time it was like that kind of built my, I think, skill as an editor. Mm -hmm. And I had done a lot of filmmaking later on. I became really when digital filmmaking became, uh, sort of hit the scene. I studied final cut pro intensively and, and studied editing and, uh, editing is sort of, to me, the dark art of all, of all the arts because it's one of the few things that the better something is edited the less you notice it where almost everything else mm-hmm. that you do the better it is the more attention it receives right and editing is like if people the layman that watches a hollywood movie and accepts the editing as a it's just not even they don't even have part of a thought story. process about yeah. it they don't even think the word editing once but if the editing is done poorly it's it's complete disaster yeah, the it's movie. And all yeah. anyone talks about is the editing it <laughs> to the point where the movie won't even come out because it's just it there's this this fourth wall kind of you know idea of just like that it is the suspension of of uh, disbelief and and it, that comes down to you know with what i do now a lot of people that shoot still imagery it, i've learned um, there's a lot of, there's, there's all kinds of different people. Obviously there's some people that are really, you know, decent photographers and decent editors. There's some people that are phenomenal photographers and terrible editors of their own work, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, you know, I kind of was, uh, maybe just in, in the middle, but I'm probably a better, uh, editor. So I'm able to look at someone's work or work with them to try to hopefully make the most interesting narrative or make them empower like their work to be as best as it can. Mm -hmm. That's Um, cool. And that's like a cool feeling that I don't know if if necessarily anyone really ever appreciates, but it's an interesting uh, you know, position. But for Polar, we just, you know, with Instagram taking off, we uh, I had put a lot of thought and a lot of strategy into uh, social media, and that was probably my kind of strength um, I guess, especially looking back is just how much I put into that. And it, it obviously has been, uh, really successful and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but we were one of the first brands like in our space to actually launch on social media and nothing else. I mean, I didn't have a budget to roll out an ad campaign or anything like that. So it was really, that's how I got the brand out there. And, and you know, now that everyone's so captivated, it's easy to forget how quickly uh, it has risen. It Mm -hmm. wasn't very long ago that none of us were on it. I mean, right. And so, you know, part of it's just timing luck that I was at the right place at the right time. And part of it is, um, that I did have a very, uh, specific plan and we had a lot of beautiful imagery that resonated with people. And that was a perfect fit for, for Instagram and those kind of things, you know, Mm -hmm. Tumblr and that's cool yeah the the other
0: thought about narrative is that you you're also um i mean you're you're pretty well read like like you you enjoy literature and books you know that that that's also kind of informed i think some of your your thinking about the brand right and story it just seems like you know the the best uh the best brands will, will connect you to some sort of like resonance of sort of like, you know, this is the story I want to I tell. And I think that, you know, like, like your camp, the, the Camp Vibes pictures on, on your Instagram, right? You see the hat, but then, which is great branding, but, right? But then it's also like, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that looks amazing. That looks like a place I've never been or never seen. And, uh, and, and I've got to try and, you know, look like, I want to go experience that. Yeah. I mean,
1: for sure. Polar is meant to be really inspirational and hopefully it is, you know, and and even if you don't buy our stuff or, you know, maybe you don't right away, you're hopefully when you you're not just looking at it thinking, oh, well, that's a cool jacket. You're thinking, I want to go do that. I want to be there. And Mm -hmm. that that's what I'm trying to do fundamentally. And I think, you know, that's uh, to me and in our culture in general, like companies and brands in general. Are going to over the next you know 10 years, there's gonna be a real interesting gap created where on one end you're gonna have your Costco's and your Amazon.coms that are more just about pragmatic, you need toilet paper. Everyone needs toilet paper, they have it, it's a good deal, you're gonna get it, it's a cheap, you know, and that's just a very pragmatic, linear type purchase. And on the other end, you're gonna have Brands that really connect with people emotionally and inspire them, and and they you know want to have those shoes or that jacket because they actually feel like they have something more, uh, they're part of something more that it just makes them feel like uh, a sense of fun or a sense of something positive in life, and that's I think the middle ground is going to become a massacre of of brands and companies that there's just so many things in this country that are big because they were built up over a long time, but they're not adapting to the internet and to the way people are uh, using, you know, social and the internet. And um, I think that's going to be, it's going to be incredible, not just for polar um, obviously, but just in general in our culture, I think there's a lot of, of companies that are either going to rise very rapidly or collapse much more quickly than ever thought possible. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So the photography sounds like you sort of kicked that off and then helped edit to make sure it was kind of a cohesive look. But now all the, all the design, all the illustration is all very cohesive.
1: You're speaking more of the graphic design than, than the product? Yeah. Well, I'm really a, you know, I'm, I am a creative director. I'm I'm not a great designer, I'm not a great photographer, I don't think, I don't put myself out there as like really um, being a master of any of those things um, specifically. I'm not a really great graphic designer or great product designer or great photographer even. I I had kind of dabbled in, and worked in different ways in a lot of different, um, I guess, fields. That are all kind of related and that gave me a good background hopefully to be a a good creative director (laughs) that was more jack of all trades master of none and Mm -hmm. and my strength i think has been more um, having a vision for like aesthetically but also for just strategically where the hole in the market was and I'm a much better big picture thinker than I am a detail person. I I tend to my mind just natively wanders to uh, sort of the the forest and not the trees, Um, and that can be that can cause a lot of problems, (laughs) as well as being a good thing for polar. It was a good thing overall, but it, it it's a. I think design-wise, I've been you know, overall just super lucky that so many talented people have wanted to work with me and wanted to be a part of it on so many levels. And some of them started, I mean, some of them were personal relationships that I had prior, just friends and people like, uh, that I knew that um, that contributed. Uh, the, the primary uh, designer that I worked with uh, and who's done most of the work overall is Caleb Owen Everett. Um, who has a partner in, and is he was here in Portland, but he's in Austin and he works um, under kind of brand name of Land. <laughs> um, and you may have seen his work online, but he's done work for you know a ton of great brands. And yeah, his lockups are just amazing. Very talented, yeah, yeah. amazing guy. I love his uh, his his like hand uh, hand drawn type work is phenomenal. So he worked with me on the original uh, branding. So that was something where I had a concept and I had like, I want the letters to be furry and kind of wonky and, you know, kind of had like a, I, my, the way that I've worked is usually I have some idea and then I do like a rough, uh, you know, conceptualization or something or communicate it, but I'm not actually talented enough, like, you know, like yourself where I can actually... (laughs) draw it, it's just not going to come out the way I want. It'll be like, sort of like it, you know, but (laughs) Caleb did a lot of work where, you know, he brought so much to it. And to me, I've always believed, well, it's like anything, but in design, I think there's so many people that identify as a graphic designer. I mean, I went to school for graphic design for a period and I could like say I am, but the difference between somebody who can sort of do it and somebody who's at like an elite level is this like intangible, uh you know yeah. really difficult to describe <laughs> like right. magic sauce that, that, that people have that are the and caleb is really like that so he's uh he did a lot of the original stuff and there's certain things i i, I did like the venn diagram t-shirt is kind of one of our uh classic shirts in the line and i drew that on a napkin and then uh, gave it to caleb and he made it cooler yeah. the concept was there but it was like i you know he just made the little the, i guess the the fine the last 10 percent or whatever you want to call it way better right. than it would have been right right but yeah lloyd Winter did some early stuff and he was a friend that i knew in town kind of through skateboarding again Yeah. and then uh you know there's been drop done some um some t-shirts recently and i'm a huge drop fan and there's just I mean, honestly too many people to list. I'll feel bad if I <laughs> leave them <laughs> right. off. But right. Caleb was the r- original, uh, you know, partner that I did the 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 main kind of icon branding with. Cool. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. No, the furry font is is so uh,
0: distinctive, right? And, yeah. And it's it's a great it's a great word. You know, it just looks good.
2: Where did the word come from? Where did the name come from?
1: Uh well, I. <laughs> It's sort of one of those things where the logo and the name is, is very much just a gut feeling. It wasn't mm-hmm. like something that I, there's no literal, people ask all the time and I kind of. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. It's like, it's just funny to me. I always say, like, people ask what the little furry Cyclops guy is. And I always say, you know, the meanings in the eye of the beholder is like a joke because okay. it's, it's really meant to elicit curiosity and be unusual that is the feeling i wanted to express i don't really want it to be like well it means this and then that's that it's sort of i think ambiguity is usually more interesting than definition (laughs) in a lot of art cool so it seems to me like in your history you you've lived different places you've
0: you've been around a bit portland seemed to be the right place for for polar to begin i think when people who live here see the brand they feel like it's a it feels a, like Portland. It feels like mm-hmm. Portland. It reflects the ideas that, that come from Portland. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience moving here and and you know how that maybe affected your your starting the company.
2: It kind of epitomizes Portland for me. I mean,
0: the aesthetic,
2: but also just the type of activities. It's kind of quintessentially
1: Portland in my mind. Yeah, I think that's not, you know, there's that's not a coincidence. It's definitely I have lived quite a few places um, and I never really realized you know growing up until I came here that I never really felt at home anywhere um, which sounds it sounds kind of sappy but I never actually had a sense of like of home and um, I you know I grew up in Maryland uh, through some formative years and I don't have anything against Maryland obviously it wasn't like horrible but I just never felt like that was my place in the world and I guess that kind of metaphysical, uh, sensibility is something I think a lot of people struggle with in our culture now, um, because they are able to move and they are or are forced to move much more than you know ever before in the history of humanity. And I think Portland's really unique because it really, I think if you go back in the history of America, people, most of the cities that exist were founded essentially on geography and like industrial infrastructure. And whether it was a port or, you know, uh, a steel town or Chicago, whatever, all these major cities we can, you know, uh, talk about are, those are the big ones still, and they'll still always be that way. But Portland was was originally, you know, a port and in clo- proximity to timber, which is kind of why it started. But that had sort of phased out, obviously, at a certain point. And then it was kind of dying, I think. And, you know, uh, it's really become a model for a lot of other smaller mid-sized cities where it's the culture of the city that's drawing people here rather than the fact that there's an abundance of jobs or there's a certain you know sector like it's not silicon valley that is drawing all these people from to san francisco or it's not hollywood or you know all the things that people go to la for it's people are finding out about portland and and Learning about it culturally and the sort of the lifestyle and and, and the balance of values of of like what people in Portland are like and do value is, is part of the appeal. And that's pretty unprecedented, I think. It's really, I can tell you with Polar, the number of people that email that just email and tell me, they're all young people, you know, and they say, hey, I'm moving to Portland. That's like the first sentence, which is a funny, and then I don't have anything like going there. There's no, they're just like, I need a job. And if you go back not that long, it's nobody could really do that. I mean, people would go move somewhere for a job or to go to college or because they had an opportunity or they met someone, but people wouldn't just up and decide like, well, that's where I need to be. Because that's like, and it's that sense of home, I think, is people visit or they hear about it and they come and then they're like, I just wanna be here and I'm gonna work it out. I'm gonna, you know, theoretically, I'm gonna get here and I'll find you know a job and that's where the kind of Portland cliches of the lawyer that's busing tables or the you know person with a medical degree that's doing you know it's like because some people their value system has changed to where they just they want to be here or you know other places too but they decide this is my home and now I'll like adapt my career or adapt my other parts of my life to fit that yeah
0: yeah and I think I think with its connection to your brand did you
1: did you know people in Portland before you moved here? You knew you knew a couple, right? I had been here and done some work for Nike, just freelance. And then I had one good friend who kind of grew up in the skateboard scene here who I'd visited a few times. And it was more for me, um, my wife is from Vancouver, BC, and we had moved away from there and then realized as part of that process that, you know, she was really at home in the Northwest. And even if we weren't going to be in Vancouver, the Northwest was just like that sense of home. We we're talking about was really intense for her more so than she thought, cause she had grown up her whole life in one place. And so we had kind of focused on that. And then for me, just career wise, Portland had, you know, a combination of much lower cost of living and opportunity in, in creative fields. So mm-hmm. it was, a uh, you know where we ended up and uh, Vancouver had really, uh, I don't know if if you follow Vancouver at all, but Vancouver, BC, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years has just gone up and up and up and up in in cost to where now it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. And we were just, there's just no way we could, you know, functionally live there and have a family. (laughs) So so when
0: you were working with Nike, was that when you got to meet Ice Cube?
1: Yeah, I did a project that was called today was a good day i wasn't the head of it by any means i was just shooting uh still photography that's okay
0: don't leave out any details
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know you have a deep love of rap so it was uh i was like on the bottom of the of the food chain for that project but it was a cool project to be a part of it it uh my friend john humphreys here was involved in it and uh it was a ad campaign that combined uh paul rodriguez who's uh uh, kind of famous Nike athlete in the skateboarding world with uh ice cube and the classic song. And uh, it was one of those rare times that um, just even if I hadn't been involved in it, it was a really rare ad that felt, you know, really like it transcended being an ad. It was like a, a kind of cool music video slash ad. And then Paul, um, is a really incredible skateboarder. But usually in those kind of ads where they have skateboarding, they show him pushing down the street or doing an easy trick. And people in the skateboard world aren't really, you know, it doesn't resonate with them at all. And that was one of the only times, you know, he did some actually groundbreaking, never been done, like jaw-dropping tricks in this huge production with Ice Cube. So it felt like it kind of hit on every level, you know. That's great. And cool. I know in within Nike, it was, you know, really considered a great... Success. I, I think it also had a cameo by Kobe, which was like amazing just to watch as a bystander because they that was like harder than putting the rest of the production together. He was at his peak, yeah. And I remember talking to the directors and producers, and they were telling me, Oh, he, you know, he they didn't actually deal with him, it wasn't him, but he's like just getting him scheduled to show up for 15 minutes was like a nine month process of. <laughs> scheduling and then he'd come and they were you know he was you know very nice but they they had literally like 10 minutes tops to get the shots wow. and then he moved on to like he had so many other things just back to back to back to back and wow. the ice cube was i at that time honestly was a much he was he was doing it i think because obviously it's nike and cool project, but he also, I think his kids were really big fans of Paul's. I think <laughs> his son, who just played him in Straight out of Compton, yeah, was uh, at that time, you know, he was a skateboarder, I think, and was into wow. it and wanted to meet Paul. And then it, it was like, Dad, you should do this. Or That's the kind of story I got. I don't know if that was true, but. it's a great story. That's but a great yeah, story. <laughs> it was, the, uh, yeah. they were definitely like, the, the kids, his kids were there and were, you know, kind of, they were just growing down he does have the magic ice cube look in person. <laughs> if, but, if you're yeah, that, that's out, totally, he, yeah, he came right out of the trailer and just flashed it immediately and everyone was just like, yes. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds dumb, that, but he has the most amazing eye, you know, the way yeah, he, looks sneer, the yeah, it's like, he looks. Yeah, that sneer, yeah. He looked like he hadn't aged a day. He looked amazing and he just got right in the, he's in this like drop-top Cadillac and I remember shooting photos of him and it was just like, you know, clockwork, they'd be like, do the look, you know, he'd, just, <laughs> he'd do it like instantly, perfectly. And everyone was just like, oh, everything can just be this easy. He's so good. <laughs> That's great. All
0: right. So a uh, couple other questions. Do you remember moose juice?
1: Is that the root beer flavored milk? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think, I think I am, yeah.
0: your entrepreneurial gene, like that you got from your father and your grandfather was there at an early age because I, I was back, you know, long, you were probably like seven or eight. And I remember you had this idea. It's like, you know, we can make moose juice.
1: <laughs> and, I actually forgot the name moose juice until you brought it up on the, when you emailed me. But I had talked about that forever. Right, right. And somebody did it. Somebody made it? I, I saw it in Whole Foods. It wasn't moose juice. But it was right. like the concept was basically when you just stir ice cream into root beer and it creates just like a milky drink that's really good. It's just yeah. a milk, root beer milk. <laughs> And I know that it's been done, but I was always just like, this is like the next big beverage. (laughs) I loved root beer, so I I still think it could be great. And it was, uh, I saw it in a very boutique level Mm -hmm. in Whole Foods, I think some kind of brand that had done like a really expensive premium one. Right, right. But when I was joking about it or talking about it when I was a kid, it was going to be like, you know, the next A&W, just like everyone (laughs) loves milk, everyone loves root beer. (laughs) How hard could it be? It's awesome. It was a very that's sort of how I picture them putting together like the Jerry Bruckheimer movies, you know what I mean? You just sit there right. and you're like, everyone loves a hot babe, everyone loves an explosion, everyone loves gunfire, and then we put these together and we've got a hundred million dollar movie. Are it's just really? like a checklist. They have like twenty-seven <laughs> things. Does it have this? Does it have a red car check? And then that's then they go, Okay, write something around that. <laughs> and that was like my thought. That was how I thought about it. I was like, Oh, this is easy. All we have to do is combine this and this it's funny you bring that up because my this is a sidebar but i've always wanted to invent a candy i don't know if you know that but no i was always so fascinated with willy wonka and even sodas and stuff i just love it. i still to this day am endlessly fascinated by how does the snickers bar become the bar like right how did it rise above all the other candy bars to be like yes this is the most glorious you know candy bar even if you don't love Snickers, just the ones that are there. Oh, no. Going it's, to it's king. There's, there's only yeah. 50. Yeah. And how did those 50 make it past like five billion? So every kid is just like Reese's, Snickers bar, Kit Kat. The classics are like, it's such a fascinating, like, you know, study of like how to... And I, I love it. And it, then the whole idea of Willie Walker, just somebody sitting there and being like, I'm going to get to the bottom. Let's <laughs> find the next. <laughs> remember when we were younger and like, remember... Uh, what was the big, the there was a candy that disappeared that had the big ad campaign where the, they'd eat a grape one and then a huge grape would fall on them. Oh, Bazookas or, but, I always forget the name, but it was almost like a starburst. And at the time it was a big deal.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I it think happened. I know the ones you're talking about.
1: You it's, can still look up the ads. I looked at it the other day, but. Yeah. Then like something like that was like a huge deal and then it disappeared and we don't even remember the name where like. How did, you know what I mean? How yeah. did something else somehow make it to become, how did Starburst become the global standard? Of, yeah. The one that's fascinated me recently is Haichu. Yeah. Which I don't know if you had Haichu, but yeah. I had Haichu in Japan coincidentally, like not that long ago, probably five years ago, four years ago in Japan. And it, I no one had ever seen it. And I was like, oh, I love these. Like I was so <laughs> into them. And I was always buying the Haichus. And then all of a sudden they popped up in Costco. And right. like all the, they're everywhere now. And like yeah. whoever brought in Haichu, that's like the first candy I've seen in a long time that just rose to be like
0: yeah, jumped a on major the player.
1: Yeah. It was like every, every Quickie Mart has Haichu now. Right. And it was like two years ago, no one had it. Do
2: you guys remember Twokies? Yeah.
1: You do? Yeah. yeah Twookie. Okay. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the name. They were like, like wafer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. No one. I wonder sometimes if I dreamed that whole thing. I don't remember Twookies.
0: Twookies was a really good good. good name. Bonkers. I remember Bonkers. Bonkers. That was it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. uh, uh,
1: The campaign was they'd eat it. They'd be like watching TV and they would eat a bite and then a huge giant one would would fall on their head. Yeah. And they had every flavor and Bonkers was like a huge deal. Never seen Bonkers forever. Yeah. No. They're they're kind of out. Yeah. I don't know. I just love the idea. I would love to invent. That I just am fascinated by things that become like a standard, especially to kids. I love the like Pringle. The Pringle story is like unbelievable. Right. You know what I mean? How does somebody go like, I'm going to reinvent a chip. And I still remember when Pringles came out. I don't know if you remember, but you were a little bit older than me. But like I was in, I want to say grade school, but it was like, it was like pandemonium. Oh, everyone went crazy for him you you did not eat a lay's chip like at lunch pringles was it was pringles or nothing like right. it was just like same thing with smart food yeah you remember smart food oh
0: i remember smart food really well it smart was...
1: food now is just like oh it's smart food when it came out it was like I swear it was 90% of my school was eating smart food at one point. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> right, just, right, right. I don't know if it's even possible to have that kind of impact anymore. But it's, at some point, I love those kind of mass items that just are like, right. what, this flavor, why, why, why didn't we have this before? We need mm-hmm. this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, know. Yeah, when, when, when the Krispy Kreme arrives at first, the line is around the block. And then after a few years, it sort of becomes a place that you go to every once in a while.
1: Yeah, and I'm even more that's like Krispy Kreme is interesting, but I like the ones that are more packaged and distributed just because they reach so deep. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just your crummy corner, quickie mart, how does it get in there? Like, right. the, how did that guy who's running that have go, like, well, we need the bonkers? <laughs> it's not Snickers and Kit Kat isn't enough now. Bonkers, bonkers. is selling like wildfire. <laughs> you know, it's like it's true though. I love that. And it's, I mean, that's the how I think about the, I mean, even with Polar, I mean, the idea that. I don't really see us competing with other people. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought, well, we're going to steal market from these guys or we're going to like compete against this brand or that brand. It's more like it's more like music or like candy where you're like, when ACDC came out, it was like, I wasn't there. I wish I was. <laughs> but the idea was or, you know, right. like, when, when anyone you want to pick when Public Enemy came out, it wasn't like right. people were like, huh, this is sort of like x or y they're just like wow public enemy we want more you know what i mean <laughs> right. and then nobody is ever in like in it's weird in certain cultures in like certain industries people will always say like well maybe you should try and do this or like maybe you should kind of shift and op- and do this market or whatever but if the idea of going to like public enemy and saying like well you know you may want to consider doing like a completely different style of music for your next album
0: or, you know what I mean, right, like, right, right.
1: ACDC, like, nobody's going to go to ACDC and be like, well, folk is trending. <laughs> I mean, you know, or like, this this band had a huge hit in this style, so you might want to, you know, bring in a ukulele. They're going to, they're just like, give us ACDC. And right. having that kind of like, that's what I strive towards is like, obviously, we're not uh, ACDC, but in terms of like, having but an original... A level you know, of
0: authenticity.
1: Or just right? something that no one else is bringing, saying, right. hey, this is... Unique. It's not for everybody, right? And but for the people that like it, hopefully we're you know speaking them to them in a way that's like um, gets them psyched, like like they're like a favorite band would. And right. It's not like I think a lot of people that go into business or entrepreneurial entrepreneurial pursuits, they tend to without consciously thinking this, they subconsciously kind of fall into pattern of behavior that I would describe as like a cover band. Where right. they're basically like, okay, this is like, we're going to be the next public enemy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, or Whatever right. you want to say, you pick your, you know, we're going to be the next Snickers bar. We're going to do this and this and this. And we have all these ingredients. Like, So that's the, like that kind of movie idea where it, it doesn't really work. Or that might work if you just happen to be perfectly on trend or do all these things right. And it just works. But it, overall, it's just a lot better to be like, here, we have this, you know. This is what we're doing. This is who we are. Yeah. And like yeah. if, if you know, that doesn't mean it's going to work. It's terrifying. And it was terrifying for me. But at the same time, you're like, I don't know if I just came out and was like, we're playing, you know, all I'm going to do is Leonard Skinner covers. Then <laughs> you're only going to go so far. Right. The period. Like, what is the best cover band in the world? Where do they play? You know, it only plays the local club. It's like, right. there's no, where if you're ACDC, you at least you you, there's a million that fail, but one of them is like immediately playing the biggest stages in the world. I remember when Olive was like, my daughter was like, a, she was really little and she would just call ACDC rock and roll because it spoke to her so powerfully. Like right. the first time she heard it, she was just like, rock and roll. And then if any other rock and roll came on, she was just like, no, no, I want rock and roll. And so we had like ACDC greatest hits. And when that would come on, she was just like, wow. <laughs> Instantly, and she would listen to the whole thing and just be like, rock and roll, rock and roll. Everyone loves music, period. Yeah. Of some kind. Um, I mean, I think, I don't think there's like a human being alive that doesn't respond to some kind of music. Right. And yet, you know, it is a weird, music has always been, it's sort of the soul of humanity on some level to me. And I think it's just an easy way for people to think of it. Nobody goes to, you know, it's very rare. Some people, like Taylor Swift is incredible because she did country. Absolutely crushed it, decided consciously to switch to, you know, pop, absolutely crushed it. She does like it a- and she's a phenomenon. I mean it, people can switch channels like that, but overall, somehow she whatever she has that is like Taylor Swifty it is like so powerful and so transcendent of like any <laughs> genre or anything that she can just apply it to anything. Which is like, it's not just her, but there are those few people where you're like, we did, you know, most people, even if it was ACDC, you couldn't be like, ACDC, let's see you do a hip hop album. It just, nobody would, I don't think it would work where, you know, strangely, there are a few people out there that are so talented or somehow they've, somehow, I don't know how it works, but she's like one of them. I mean, she writes everything. She owns the record company. with her family I mean she's like one of those artists that just somehow Mm -hmm. yeah even if you don't like her you just have to respect the sure right right there's there are other people like that but it's very everyone can relate to that I just I just know people will come to me and be like well why don't you do this or that with polar like why don't you focus on this and I'm just kind of I'm always it's always intriguing it's usually it goes back to that kind of quantitative or qualitative thing where right people have a certain mindset or just have a very linear way of thinking like that and for better or worse i'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum
0: yeah yeah that's awesome well this this has been a super conversation benji i just want to uh wrap up and we we in all of the interviews we've done so far and this is i think you're the fifth that we've recorded um but uh we we ask about like portland picks things in you know around here that you like. Or even they don't even necessarily have to be Portland just things that you can recommend so so if it's a restaurant that's great if there's an app you use that's great if there's a game you play or you know just like a dog sitting service whatever you know if there's something you can recommend
2: something you sort of newly discovered that you're
1: excited about use one, one or a or couple whatever you have yeah well I do love Portland I have a lot of a lot of love for Portland as you know I'm extremely entrenched in Southeast Yeah, (laughs) and I I was laughing last year. I realized I think one of the beautiful things about Portland is how all the different sectors and even, you know, outside of town more, they all have all these great pockets of kind of community and restaurants and bars and coffee shops. And there's a lot of other cities I've lived in that are even, you know, nice cities. They tend to have like one hotspot zone where it's like if you're going out on a nice date, you're going to this part of town or whatever. And Portland's not like that. It's like you can really uh, localize even, you know, much more local on this kind of micro level. And so I spend almost all my time in Southeast. I think last year I was realizing I spend more time in other places. I spent more time in Vietnam than I did in Northeast. I spent, <laughs> I spent more time in like Berlin than I did in North Portland. <laughs> and that's really not like a reflection of a, me thinking it's like negative. It's just pragmatically with kids and, and, you know, tons of work and everything. I just don't really leave my neighborhood that much. Right. Unless I'm going far away for a business or whatever. So, right. uh, my I probably my favorite restaurant is Ava Jean's. On division, uh, which is really wonderful, and if you go there, do not skip the salads. Mm. Uh, the salads are the are the highlight, I think, and they're very very creative and original. Um, of course, you know I have to do a plug for our polar store downtown, right up the street from here on Tenth yes. Avenue, right by. It's only a block away from Powell's, but um, love for you to check that out and uh it's a great store uh, it's awesome yeah and then you know just it's hard to go wrong you know i mean honestly portland just has so much to offer uh especially in the food culture if you're into food it's like it's kind of just overwhelming <laughs> right right but yeah i'm a Stumptown coffee regular and uh there's a i guess what would be a really new thing i've discovered uh i have Let's see. I I actually love Screen Door on Burnside. Southern food that has become Mm -hmm. quite. uh, I don't go there as much now because the line is so long. Is uh, that a breakfast place, right? Or they do both. Yeah, yeah. They used to do just brunch on the weekend, but now they do breakfast, lunch, dinner. But it's become really well known on uh, for tourists because the I guess because the line is crazy now. It's and they don't take reservations.
0: Yeah um what about like uh instagram people there are a few that you could call out that
1: that we should follow or i follow or? so many people it's tough to i mean there's other local you know stores like i'm you know uh francis may is like a high-end boutique that's by our store that's more you know much more premium designers but really beautiful uh curation and that's downtown um over by uh over by us what would be a good another one to shout out i have a hard time i get overwhelmed with all the <laughs> honestly it's like a tough yeah i i i see it's there's so many good things it's uh i'm actually you know i don't know we just have a really unique uh i think we have such a unique culture just because of nike and all of the things that whether you you know you want everyone wants to admit it or not so many people between nike and Wyden and kennedy you know come here and work for them and then they spin off and work for somebody else so they start their own design thing or their own food truck or whatever and uh, that i think can't be underestimated there's just this really intense uh kind of level of local entrepreneurship last one is a salt and straw Mm, because i love ice cream and it's right down the street from where i live and uh, another phenomenon that there's a line out the door all the time but the ice cream is really <laughs> right. good and you're always like is it that good and then you go and you're like it's, it's pretty good it's, yes. it's been, <laughs> if you love ice cream you're right, the, right. you know it's it like
0: depends that. on how much trouble your kids are giving you while you're waiting in yeah, the line but
1: right. the pro tip at Salt and Straw is skip the line and just grab a pint walk right to the register They don't make your way through the line and nobody knows that. So you can just walk in the side door, get pints, and and walk out. I thought about... That's perfect. That's... That's so I never actually go through the line because of the kids. I refuse to wait in line with kids. So it's like, honestly, <laughs> it, just, it kills me. I can't do it. <laughs> that's
0: smart. That is awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Benji Wagner is a co-founder
1: of Polar. The shop is downtown in Portland. We are opening a store in uh, Laguna Beach, California. Cool. Uh, probably by Christmas, hopefully. Nice. So that will be a big, uh, big deal for us. And uh, kind of hopefully uh, it's a really cool space that we'll have some other local brands involved and, and be sort of a cool taste of Portland down in SoCal in a, in a cool uh, kind of classic surf town.
0: Yeah, my sister will be thrilled.
1: Yeah, I haven't told her actually. Yeah, yeah
0: you should let her you know. She'll be excited to hear about it. And, the, and of course, you go to polarstuff.com uh, to, to see the full portfolio of the adventures and the products. and.
1: Yeah, and you can follow us on Instagram and social. It's at polarstuff, polar with an E. Awesome. Thanks, nice.
0: Benji. And Design Clotch is totally supported and made possible by Explain. Uh, Explain is a design consultancy based in Portland, Oregon and Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, We love working for this company and Explain is uh, basically focused on helping large organizations clarify, communicate and achieve their goals. Uh, And we get to draw for a living, which makes it a lot of fun. Uh, That's it. I think that's it. Thanks guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.